You're listening to Two Dudes, One Disc. We're the most sought-after music journalists, the greatest minds in the history of... You really gonna make me read this sh-? Just read it! Take on the most influential albums of all time. Here's your host, Michael Heideman, on Two Dudes, One Disc. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the newest episode. We're back. Two Dudes, One Disc. If you're tuning in for the first time, this is your go-to spot for coverage of your favorite albums from front to back. We dive into every single song of your favorite artists from A to ZZ Top. And I'm stoked to be back here. This is the returning episode. We're no longer called by that old name. It's a new year. It's a new time. And hell yes, it's a new album with the Mars Volta deloused in the comatorium. This is your host, Mike Heideman, and I'm here with two of my favorite podcast hosts in the entire world. If you haven't tuned in to theirs, No Coast Cinema, <laughs> you need to do it right now. It's on WGN+. They're the, the movie experts, and today I got them for a little bit of time to speak about one of their favorite albums. Welcome in. Tom Hush. Yo. And Connor Cornelius. Hey. <laughs> perfect <laughs> Gotta go on the offbeat. So what are we listening to today, guys? How's it going? Doing good. great. Thank you so much for having us on, Mike. Especially to talk about something that I feel I'm more qualified to talk about than the show that perhaps uh, that we host. Yeah. <laughs> no, he is he is uh, the consummate Mars Volta aficionado. He really is. Um I, I don't think I think I know maybe one other person who knows as much as Connor about the Mars Volta, but he's he's kind of like my uh, my shepherd into a lot of the background stuff because wow. I just I just really like the music and yeah. then and then Connor helps me uh, understand some of the other concepts that are going on because this is like some meaty stuff in terms of music. Yeah, even before we started the podcast, listening to you guys kind of wax poetic about this album, I was getting more and more amped up because as a young person in high school when I was listening to this album for the first time, I didn't know that there were so many levels to this band and now, ever since they put this album in 2003, there's been so much more folklore behind the band. Will they break up when they come back together? It's this huge thing. So what was it about the Mars Volta, Connor, that kind of drew you to the band? Um, so my friend Ryan Arliscus, I remember we were driving around after during summer one time, and he, I was like playing some. I can't remember what band I was playing. It was maybe like a Fallout Troy like EP or something, the Ghost Ship demos, okay. I think. And we were listening to it, and I was like, yeah, I kind of like some of this stuff. The the screaming bugs me a little bit, just like the vocal delivery constantly assaulting me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay, well, why don't we try to put this on? I mean, you like the drummer and you like the guitar playing, and these guys were totally inspired by this band, the Mars Volta, which was the first time I'd ever heard it. And he put it on, and I remember thinking, like, hearing John Theodore's drum parts and hearing Cedric singing and everything, and I was... I didn't like it at first, mm-hmm. but there was an, a worm almost that had stuck in me, and I was like, "There's something to this," and there's, it's like uh, there's like a learning curve almost to actually liking the band. At least for for me, it mm-hmm. was, and I had to like I had to dig into what why this band was making me feel the way that it was, yeah. and now and now they are my favorite band. I, I have to say, mm-hmm. wow. Now are they still even together though? They are working together. Uh, I follow 
Cedric on social media. It's a good follow. Sometimes he's, he's just insane. Uh, <laughs> so they're supposedly in the studio. I don't know. They work on stuff together all the time, though. They're uh, they're they're like Frank Zappa levels of uh, proli- uh, prolific. prolific. Yeah, they're like Frank Zappa like that. You know. Cool, cool, cool. So what's this first song we're listening to? Uh, this song is called Inertiatic ESP, but the first one that we put on was called Sonnet Lumiere, uh, which is, uh, it's actually really surreal to, to listen to it because the first two bits is you hear sound manipulation from a guy called Jeremy Michael Ward, and, uh, and he was, uh, like, very important in the band. The only person besides the singer and the guitar player who actually had any creative input in how the songs turned out mm-hmm. in the songwriting process. They're the only guys that like write everything, even though they have a big band. Mm-hmm. And then the the piano part starts with a guy called Ike Owens, who they uh, the guys from you know Cedric and Omar met. He was a he played with Snoop Dogg, he played with Sublime, he was Jack White's uh, piano player on the Lazaretto tour. And then he actually passed away uh, several years ago, and so did Jeremy Michael Ward. So it's really kind of interesting to hear how the first two things that you hear on the album are band members that were so important to their sound in the band and and have unfortunately passed away. Man, that's always the worst part, you know, when you are at the top of your game, obviously, because this is an album that so many people have connected with, and it's hard to connect to an album, um, especially one that came out years ago, and then see that kind of talent just kind of, you know, need to go away. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a shame. Well, I mean, when you have a band like the Mars Volta and especially two creative heads like Cedric Bixler Zavala and Omar Rodriguez Lopez, it's that sort of creative clash that produces some of their best music yet is going to be the band's downfall. We see it in things like other progressive bands like Pink Floyd. Um, you have David Gilmore, who for my money is uh, one of the most beautiful and technically gifted guitar players of all time. The Sultan of Sustain. Yeah. He, I mean, <laughs> I he's, <love> that. <laughs> he's a guy that uh, knew exactly how he wanted to play every part and he never really missed a note. He just played um, for the, he played for the song instead of just shredding, even though sometimes he shreds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have Roger Waters, who is a fantastically gifted songwriter and, and conceptualist who came up with, some of the uh, headier albums of the time, you know, we think of things like The Wall, we think of Animals, Dark Side of the Moon. A lot of that is of his construction and put them, putting them together creates some of the most important albums of, of that era, but it also creates a certain amount of creative clash and personal clash that results in the splitting of uh, a once great group. Now, I'm a personally a fan of some of their post-breakup uh, stuff, uh, both, you know, Pink Floyd, but also the Mars Volta. They've done some really interesting stuff following the demise of that band, but uh, it never really reaches the same creative heights, if you ask me. Uh, I mean, Omar did, what, like 12 albums? 24. He did 24 24 albums albums in... Released bi-weekly over the course of one year. I think it was 2017. Yeah, for for Ipecac Records, which is... um, run by who's who runs that it's uh, the guy uh, from mr bungle uh, and, mike patton yeah mike patton from uh faith no more yeah oh he but, runs this crazy label Ipecac. Ipecac. yeah it, you know for that level of songwriting it that name fits it very well because you yeah. are literally puking out music yeah. <laughs> you, like every single week and it does there is obviously like like i mentioned kind of earlier frank zappa right there is obviously of various degrees of quality to the to what you can expect but if you go on his you know you go on Omar Rodriguez Lopez's Wikipedia page, you'll just click on an album and it'll be like, this is the 342nd studio album yeah. by, you know, not that many, but... <laughs> it's ridiculous. The guy was just turning out music left and right, and uh, he, 
he just possesses such uh, an insane level of uh, creativity that does result in that, as you said, the varying degrees of quality, because not everything can be a zinger. A lot of it is kind of sketches in a Mm -hmm. sense, like of what a good song could be. And a lot of it is stuff that was recorded years ago. And then he decided to repurpose it. And now, Tom, do you think that this... I kind of have my own opinion on on this record, the Laos and the Comatorium. But do you would you say that this is maybe their most solid work? Not maybe not the best word, but most uh, conceptually sound piece of piece of music. I'd say pro- probably yes, but also I think the Bedlam and Goliath reaches those levels of cohesiveness in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, which was that was the first Mars Volta record I ever heard, which mm-hmm. uh, the Bedlam and Goliath released in 2008. Um, I heard I heard that and I really felt like I understood the concept through and through. And then I worked my way back and got to Dilaust. But uh, I would say probably, yeah, if not uh, Bedlam. Well, it, it always comes down to, you know, it's a, just a, a wealth of work over years and years and years. Heartbreak, the girls, the guys, the, mm-hmm. the jobs you got fired from, going all into this one album. And yeah. you like kind of, you know, put it out. So it's, it's a really great, great album. Let's take a look at our next song, number three, Roulette Dares. And I, I do think this is their best song. I'll <laughs> this say this. <laughs> I think all the way through... I think so. I love the use of just insane effects. Yes. Like the, the production on this album makes it me, and I'm sure you guys as producers, your head, your head spin. You're yeah, like, Dang, absolutely. So, so we need to echo effect the drums right in the beginning. Then you want to go into reverb sounding with the the vocals, yeah. and then kick back into a clean set of, of drums with tied with the guitar. Oh man, yeah. I'm already exhausted I'd, from it. I'd really like to start talking about that. I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, the way that if people are fans of the Mars Volta or at least are somewhat like peripherally aware of them, they know that they make concept albums a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And narrative aside, most concept albums are just, you know, messes. But this was their first, just a little bit of history. This was produced by Omar Rodriguez Lopez, the guitar player, and Rick Rubin, famous for, wow. you know, bringing uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers together. One and of the actually, most famous producers of all time. And Flea actually plays bass on the entire album. Really? Yeah, yeah. Flea's the bass player on the entire album. Um, but the way that... so. Look at, like, just imagine this. They come from their post-hardcore outfit at the drive-in. Mm-hmm. They're in a dub band for an odd number of years. And they they land on a major label for their first time since at the drive-in. And it's with Rick Rubin, the most legendary producer of the last 20 years. And at the time. And then they're like, okay, well, here's what we're going to do for our first major, you know, studio album release for on a major label. We're going to do an hour of music. It's going to be a concept album. And they, the way that they use guitar pedals, it actually kind of echoes the theme, I think, of, of the record. And the, they use effects that on paper are just hard, barely usable. They're like one single-use kitchen implements, you know? It's a <laughs> ring mod, which is that, like, filtering sound that you hear where it's like... Yeah. Shh, shh, that, that thing. And it, they're really hard to use because what they basically are are delay pedals that the echo is so quick 
that it actually sounds like it's detuning your instrument. Mm. And I, I could see that. That's kind of like one of their signature sounds almost. Absolutely. Mm. And it's just such a strange thing to me that they would be so... And they commit to it across the entire record. It's a recurring thing that they use. Uh, they use it all over his voice. They use it all over the guitar throughout the whole thing. And then that's... So that's what you hear in the beginning. And it transitions the second song into the third song, the ring mod. And then at the end, they use another notoriously impossible single-use kitchen implement effect in the Robotalk in... Omar's like greatest guitar part ever and just like this insane guitar break mm -hmm. that's in like 1324 some ridiculous yeah. time signature <laughs> where he's speeding up the tempo in the riff and everything mm -hmm. and I just think that it's what whether you want to say sonically it's consistent or narratively if it's a mess I the thing I want to say most about it is it's really impressive that they commit to such like workmanlike, you know, such a workmanlike ethic mm -hmm. at, from the outset with this record. Wow, yeah, it's 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 quite the extreme adventure. I mean, it was uh, it was dedicated to, I guess, a friend of of the lead singers, and um, it was kind of my first. Going back to my own personal experience, it was my first time when somebody said, "Hey, have you ever listened to math rock?" And I'm like. <laughs> What's a math rock? What I'm the not. Hell are you I'm not about? interested at first, but go on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, like slowly, they're like, "No, the use of, the use of the time signature is just different than anything you'll ever hear." And there's all these other bands that that are really great with it. I'm trying to think of uh, some other groups, but I'm I'm blanking on them at, now at the moment. Well, I think um, the dismemberment plan I know is a really popular math rock or math implementing band mm -hmm. um you got contemporaries label mates with the mars volta mastodon they're, oh, they're yeah. famous mastodon for, yeah doing some time signature stuff although they obviously veer heavier into the more metal kind right. of stoner sludge sort of thing but they mm -hmm. they think in those terms as well um, i bet you if the lead singer of mastodon didn't have face tattoos and their guitarist and bassist didn't have long hair and they were just all clean cut dudes like from the vampire weekend people would take them well, a they, lot more seriously well you know what they would be they would probably be uh like american <laughs> <laughs> they would be like uh like american football which is yeah. legendary uh uh emo band they use a lot of math rock staples they're doing odd time signatures they're doing kind of like this stuff that uh is ersatz and and angular but they do it through a lens of of emo music and really you can hear a lot of that in especially the early mars volta they're coming from at the drive-in which is post-hardcore very emotional music very uh heavily into those types of lyrics but very, and it makes it very rooted in punk rock still, absolutely and, and simplicity and this brings i would almost call this like emo prog in a lot of ways yeah. this mm -hmm. is not uh mm -hmm. dudes singing Agreed. about uh the the f well it is kind of them singing about the fabric of time but like yeah <laughs> they're also doing it in an emotional way telling a story that is rooted in in playing with your heartstrings if you dig into it um i believe I don't know if we've mentioned this, but the whole album is rooted around a story written by Cedric Bixler Zavala, um, the lead singer of the band involving uh, a guy who falls into a coma. Yeah, called Carepin Taxed and Delouse from the Comatorium. Wow. So, yeah. so I was reading up on this, and it says, I'm pulling this from uh, a, a website called Remezcala, and oh, yeah. uh, it looks like it was kind of dedicated to um, uh, an homage to Julio Venegas, mm -hmm. an El Paso yeah. artist, poet, and close friend that uh, Rodriguez Lopez and Bixler Zavala. And this man went into a coma after a deliberate drug overdose and then recovered 
Only then to die by suicide later on. He, mm. uh, but in 1996, he he jumped off a freeway overpass and yeah. in right in rush hour traffic. There's a lot of heaviness to this album. Absolutely, yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where Omar and Cedric saw a lot of stuff in El Paso when they were growing up. They themselves were uh, drug addicts. They uh, used heroin um, throughout a good portion of their of their early years. Um, and it's something that they've struggled with uh, ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're clean now. They're very, they've been clean for a very long time. But uh, these early records are really touched with a lot of tragedy and a lot of uh, having to work through these mental states that they, that they experienced and seeing what happened to a lot of their good friends in the, in the El Paso art scene. And um, you can hear that early on in At the Drive-In, and you can hear it in the Mars Volta. I would say no more so than Deloused. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit getting into their second album, uh, Francie's the Mute, but Deloused. If you want to hear the pain that they dealt with mm-hmm. as young men, um, Deloused in the Comatorium is an excellent representation of that. And if you if you do approach this album from a, like, from a typical perspective, you know, you're listening to the lyrics to try to get the story or whatever, there are very few moments of clarity where he describes the scene of the of julio standing on top of the you know freeway and everything um but it does kind of give me a idea of like they were working so hard and there isn't a ton of clarity on this record i mean his lyrics are very imagery driven um but it almost gives me the feeling that they were like just trying to sweat it out you know yeah like it, sweat out it's the feverish it is. It, it is like a fever dream at times uh a really good fever dream in a sense because it's just the whole album i mean get Getting away from even just the themes of it, the whole album just rips. It like does. they just, it is nonstop uh, sheer creativity through in and throughout. And it's an album that can uh, really affect you emotionally, or you can just honestly rock out to in your car. Speaking of, let's jump into that next song. Is it Tira Me Alas? Tira Me Alas Aranas. Yeah, Throw Me to the Spiders. I'm so <laughs> glad I have Connor and Tom here to help me through this album. Now, they do a very Pink Floyd-y kind of yes. sensibility with these starts of their songs. Kind of lead you down a journey, almost. A little pseudo-Spanish guitar there, right? Uh, yep. Nice lead-in. I do think that they're really important for bringing like Hispanic influences of Latin music into rock, progressive rock as well, and... The way that I would describe it to people who don't really know them is, what if Led Zeppelin was had Santana in the band? That's <laughs> that, kind of how I yeah. view them. Yeah, man. It's a good way to look at it. And it's That'd weird. be one hell of a band, too. Right? Yeah. I know, I know. And you can even hear, like, if you go back and listen to Santana at Woodstock mm-hmm. with some of the jams that he's doing in Latin beats, uh, you'll hear a lot of that in this, uh, but obviously filtered through their own harder punk yes. sort of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So all these sounds that you're hearing, that's Jeremy Michael Ward just doing sound manipulation. And they, they at their live shows, which were notoriously, you know, raucous, yeah. he would actually have a big pedal board that's like filtering Cedric's vocals and filtering Cedric's guitar through different things and really gave it kind of a unique idiosyncratic live experience to separate it from the album experience. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes into another song. Yeah. So, so uh, a little peek behind the curtain. We're listening to it online, not <laughs> listening to it all the way through. But here we go with the next song, The Drunken Ship of Lanterns. 
So yeah, you get that Latin vibe, you know, with the with the bongos and everything, and just sort of that, like the the rhythm of the drums is very. It's very much that. It yeah. is literally that. No, well, it's, it's it's one of those bands where you it's can like a kind salsa of, beat. Yeah, you can describe. Like it's so much fun to describe what they're doing just with like mouth noises. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I was okay, so when I was 16 and listening to this in high school, like I was like, this band is so freaking busy. Oh yeah, it's like everything that they they're mm-hmm. doing is just there's there's so much that's going into it. And and at that time, I was listening to Fall Out Boy, the reunion show. Mm-hmm. I mean, Coheed and Cambria, yes, but kind of after the Mars Volta is when I really got into them. Um, but there was just so much music crammed into these songs that all, my young mind almost couldn't even handle it because they, yeah. they put so much work into these these albums. I would say one of my favorite things about the Mars Volta, and people ask me why I enjoy it, and there's levels with the you know the lyrical content with you know the songcraft, but really I think my favorite thing is the way it makes me feel completely overwhelmed <laughs> in a way that is uh, unlike anything else. It is a truly maximalist approach approach to production yeah it, it feels like a wave rushing over you and i feel confused at times and disoriented but yeah. in, in such a way that it's like euphoric it's therapy almost yeah the it's yes. therapeutic like i could i could pass out on the ground just like listening to this you know in like a christ-like pose just just taking it all in i think you're describing the first time you did mushrooms tom honestly Actually, honestly it's, just... it's a very it's very much a drug experience it a very lot of much all is, their records yeah. are if, very if you want to know what it's like to do some kind kind of like mushroom uh, euphoric uh, psychedelic drug this is you. it yeah. they'll take it for you oh and here's John Theodore oh. please also got some uh, got some sick bills on this one this one. Oh wait it's the next one <laughs> just kidding here we go ah it's so powerful it, is. it really it is. gets right into your veins yeah almost. and I do think that a lot of the things that we're talking about as pros for the music and why we like it so much could be at the very opposite end of the coin be used to criticize the band. Totally. I think that at a lot of the times that you'll see in their own in their later albums, they kind of disappear up their own ass and it's very transparent. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, Dude, okay. Yeah man, you've been on that eighteen minute guitar solo out of tune for the last oh, like, yeah. yeah. Give me a break. Can I can I just play bass once on yeah. the album? <laughs> yeah. Or like the like you mentioned, you know, they never stop really. They're always constantly going at full blast, yeah. pedal to the metal mm-hmm. nonstop. You know, the lack of dynamacy there, you could construe it as a lack of dynamacy, obviously, and the way that the singer is always singing very, very high up in his range Mm -hmm. um, and with a lot of emotional energy behind it. He's always, like, full-on, fully emotional the Mm -hmm. entire time. There's no real, uh, like, you know... He's calming down, you know what I mean. He's even when he's whispering, he's like, <laughs> you know, he's like, he's like, so like pent up and like pissed about something. And I fucking love it. I find it really inspiring. Yeah, it's it's a really cool feeling that you get. And the, it's, I I picture when I'm listening to these albums, I'm picturing the studio sessions that they're having. Oh my god! Because most of the time, you kind of displace yourself from that, right? And just see, seeing them be like, 
I need more wah on this. And, yeah. the, and then the lead singer just sitting in the back, just slamming espresso shots. Just like, <laughs> I got to He's get like, okay, but what if we put a ring mod on this guy? And then we put a Mellotron on the bass and more flanger. Yeah, yeah, so that's a good a, idea. There's a famous uh, story for, about Pink Floyd when they were creating their albums. And they were at the height of their fame, and they could do no wrong in most people's eyes. And they actually wanted to create an album made of purely of kitchen sounds, hmm. like purely of just you know, um, of you know forks clamming together and doors slamming, and they can make a full album and put some guitars behind it. And the producer nearly lost his mind, and it went to hell. And they scrapped it forever after they spent a week on trying to get a rubber band snap correct. <laughs> well, well I, mean, so that's, <laughs> I mean, that's what you get when you have these types of people. They're generally very obsessive mm-hmm. about what they're trying to do, which can be uh, both a positive and a negative. Um, you know, since we do host No Co Cinema, I do want to tie it back to a, a great scene in an amazing movie, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Yes. Which I think is... Yes, uh, I know out, what scene you're talking yeah, about. Outside, it's outside of this is Spinal Tap, one of the most cutting, uh, you know, satirizations of music and specifically music biopics. But there's a bit where he goes full Brian Wilson and he's just recording... Uh, sounds of literally anything like he's he t- he puts a microphone up to a woman's naked breasts to like record that but then there's a bit where he goes up to these like you know these like uh african like uh like bushmen mm-hmm. and they're all you know in their ceremonial garb and everything and he goes up to him and he's just like listen your african bushmen sound like fucking bushmen like and he just freaks out and it's it's really really a cutting uh satirization of those type of people it's so true and he's like he's like i need more didgeridoo yeah i want a whole army of didgeridoos <laughs> i've got a vision up the ass and you don't stand in my way okay i've got, I've got a new idea of music i call it schmusic <laughs> This, I mean, and that's and that's again what, as Connor said, people can listen to this and definitely get that impression that these are just two dudes on heroin making an insane racket. Um, there's plenty of people I've tried to get into the Volta that are just like, I hate this because it's so confusing and it's so erratic, and uh, it is uh, it's drug like at times where Absolutely. you're just like. It's it's manic. It's insanity. How can anyone parse through this? But if you're willing to give it the time to especially appreciate, like when they like they're in uh, in Drunk Ship of Lanterns, the some of those drum fills are just that. Oh yeah, they're very much like that. Yeah, awesome. Or how about that that drum break in Roulette Dares? Like, and now and now you can probably imagine us in high school because this is. I mean, we met in high school and and we discovered the Mars Volta rough roughly the same time. I would say. Yeah. And this is literally how conversations go. Like, yeah, do you really like that part where he's like, squealing little wow? Yeah. Like, and, and, <laughs> and we are trying to, we are on film here. We are being recorded. Yes, yes, you can yes. only imagine that we are, uh, we this are. Is, this is going it, out. Oh, this is going out to 100,000 people right now. Oh, so boy. Oh, I've, well, <laughs> I I've didn't want to know that. I've been doing air drums for the last 15 minutes. So. Yeah, well, so, hopefully they're entertained. <laughs> oh, man. All right, let's, uh, let's take a quick look at the next song real quick. Pull it up here. Is it Ariotarka? not finished yet. I'm hearing more aboriginal percussions, <laughs> and I want an army of didgeridoos. 50,000 didgeridoos. Uh, folks, can we have a moment with Dewey? 
<laughs> just totally. I can just here. see it. I can just see it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wanted to know a little bit about you guys actually. So when yeah. you guys were, when we met in high school, um, a lot of my friends came the same exact way. We pull up an album. I saw a guy with a patch on his backpack of MXPX, and I'm like, I love that band too. Oh, and oh, we yeah. kind of connected <laughs> together. Do you remember the first album you guys got connected over? Like when you're like, whoa, who's this Tom guy? <sighs> was it was it know. during our ska phase? Uh, yeah, because I was in a ska <laughs> band in high school that we we hung out a fair amount around those yeah. shows. Um, I do I do have a one memory, and I honestly I think that it was me and you and Tiger Cat before we we were going to pick up our friend Nate and Steven mm-hmm. to go hang out, and we were on the way to go pick up Steven, and it, this was before because on the way back we turned on Turnberry Trail, and I'm playing Roof with a Hole by the Meat Puppets. Yeah. And that was the first moment Tom was sitting in the front seat and he turns to me and we didn't know each other very well and he turns to me and he goes, Connor, you've got good taste in music. And I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> I just thought to myself, I like this guy, this guy gets me. <laughs> Meat Puppets rule, oh. I love. <laughs> <laughs> See, you do have a soundboard. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> were you guys not use the soundboard in NoCo? <laughs> oh my should. god, we really should. We're trying it's... to get a James Hetfield only soundboard. So yeah. just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love James Hetfield, but yeah, no. I've, it seemed uh, he and I connecting over music came pretty naturally. I would say, mm-hmm. um, and as he mentioned, it was because we were hanging around the same people who were in bands. And I was never in any of these bands. I was kind of like almost the, uh, I was the guy who's probably in the background of like the live photo that's in the in the liner notes to be like, oh yeah, that's Tom. Like I remember him from the scene or from the, the Crystal Lake You're not scene. giving yourself enough credit. You were the guy emceeing the events. Oh um, yeah, yeah. See, that was hype man. That was something that I did. Uh, and I almost saw myself as um, someone who would have been documenting the scene, although I absolutely didn't because I was too busy fucking drinking and smoking pot with these idiots. <laughs> like, <laughs> But like, if you only I, had a camera, though, yeah, attached to that oh, J. Man. If I if I'd been more of a photographer, uh, I really would have spent more time documenting that specific time. Because I think every I, I'm sure you had a similar experience. You're, mm-hmm. I mean, you're from McHenry, yeah, uh, yeah. not far from us. No. Um, yeah, we grew up in all. Crystal Lake. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Crystal Lake. And shout Blizzard. out Northwest Suburbs. Yeah, Northwest Suburbs, man. Um, <laughs> but. It was one of those things where this was, it's not like McHenry and Crystal Lake are like, you know, desolate or mm-hmm. anything like that, but if it's kind of like strip mall hell, yeah. especially, <laughs> especially Crystal Lake, mm-hmm. um, you know, Route 14 is just, is, and, and uh, what's it? It's, it's Route 14. Like 47. And then 40, up to yeah. Woodstock and shit. Right. But I'm thinking of um, over, what's the street where the guitar center is? You know, going towards ninety. Oh, you're yeah. You're thinking of thirty one. Um, it's not. It's not Rack Randall. Oh, Randall. 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 Road. Yeah. So right. Randall Road and and Route fourteen, which are kind of two opposite streets, where people you would drive down. You know. All the time. That was a thing to do. Like if you were sixteen, you would drive you up just, and down those streets. Exactly. Yeah. You're just cruising. Like it's it's literally like American graffiti. You're just driving. You've got nothing to do. Uh, you're probably going to go over to Country Donuts and hang outside and smoke cigarettes for a few <laughs> hours because you've got no money. You can afford a cup of coffee, maybe. Maybe. And um, you know, when people would you have shows, you weren't around the clock, fellas. Uh, oh, <laughs> that dude. was after the show. Honestly, okay. we, were, we were country donuts people. There we were, were crowds. We ran it though. Those were distinct crowds, though, for yeah. sure. You know, yeah, yes. But, uh, we, uh, and um, and steak and shake, oh, wait, steak no, and shake. And then what was what was the place? Uh, Colonial Cafe, Colonial Cafe, the kitchen oh, sink. The kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. That was my place. Anyway, I digress. So yeah, go, uh, go yeah. Right ahead. But the, I mean, these it's all interesting because we have these shared experiences of growing up in these places and shared experiences of of the music scene for. Whatever it was, was basically our escape from 
uh, a really crushing sense of suburbia right yeah. that I, at, that at very least i don't know about you guys i definitely felt at times that i was just like i feel so trapped in this place that is not a bad place to be mm-hmm. it's i'm mm-hmm. not growing up in poverty i'm not growing up in um that's a the place thing, where right? I'm afraid of violence. Yeah, it's almost the guilt of the genuine emotions that you're feeling. You you are like yourself, kind of blaming yourself for feeling the way that you naturally yeah. feel. Because we strange. Were, yeah, we were just like, wow, there's really nothing to do because it's just this is it. It's if you're not shopping. What are you doing? Right. Yeah. And um, Crystal Lake has changed a lot over the years. And I feel like the main, the, the downtown Crystal Lake, the main street has become more lively. And I, I, I really give credit to all the many people that try to keep uh, Crystal Lake's, you know, independent commerce alive. But, you know, we grew up there. We were born in the 90s and grew up in late 90s, early 2000s, where, again, strip mall hell. It was yeah. just nonstop development of all these stores that nobody wanted. And it's crazy to think how you grew like I, I myself grew up in, in that kind of where this all these brick and mortar stores were going up borders books and, you know, the Myers, the targets. And you're like, this is this isn't going to go anywhere. We're going to be like the booming, bustling place that that Chicago is one day. And sure. now it's just empty stores. Yeah. Yep. Oh, it's so freaky. There's there's like a Dominic's that I used to go to all the time. Gone. Borders <laughs> gone. Gone. Um all all these places that you considered like, oh, this will never go out of business. And then you realize that the nineties are over, man. It's yeah. done. Like two thousand eight hits in Crystal Lake, it was bad. A lot of people but Move on with your life, Tom. I know. No. <laughs> right, let's, quit living in the past. Let's dude. dive into the next song real quick and we'll and we'll continue it. I think this is the the best song on the record, but it's, it's high up there with uh, Area Tarka, up there with Roulette Dares. But God damn it, this is like a this is like an at the driving song. Every the, the amount of money these guys must have spent on that pedal board. Oh, Every yeah. song is different. Yeah, it is. And, but I love I love what you brought up about um, growing up in small suburban towns, and I think this is why the Mars Volta connects with a lot of people who grew up in that time is yeah. because you grew up in a city where it, it seemed like everything was buzzing around your head but there was nothing you can do about it besides just put your headphones on sometimes and just listen, listen to some good music it's very and escapist the, yeah. yeah yeah, very escapist it helps bring like a therapeutic approach to the insanity that you're feeling you know what I mean yep and it's just like it's okay that you're feeling this way because we're just being insane for no goddamn reason yeah. as well and it's like let's just join in with us yeah join in with the experience and just let it uh, let it happen Man, it's so deep when we're going into this Mars Volta album. There's, it's bringing out a lot of emotion from me, actually. This is a very emotional album that, uh, to be honest, I haven't heard a lot of these songs like all the way through. Oh, yeah. Since, you know, for at least 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this cool. chorus is really good. <laughs> The like drumming, <laughs> the drumming on that so is unbelievable, good. man. It, Fucking it, unbelievable. They, this band is blowing me away. I mean, looking back at this album, it, it reminds me of watching uh, those Warp Tour videos or going to Warp Tour and hearing these guys in the background and mm-hmm. thinking, "Oh my gosh, it's probably so sweaty yeah. and, and moshy over yeah. there right now." 
I just I have, I have images of just mud being thrown. Oh, actually, yeah. every time I listen to this album, and and Cedric is notorious for just doing crazy on stage antics, like climbing shit, jumping off of things, throwing things into the audience. Yeah, there was a performance once at the MTV. It was like MTV yeah. Awards or something. And Zach De La Roca does the introduction to them. Zach De La Roca of the Rage Against the Machine uh, band, the Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> But uh, at one point, uh, Cedric and they were, they were performing Drunk Ship of Lanterns, which yeah. we heard a little bit earlier. And uh, Cedric literally climbs into the audience and is climbing over people seated. over chairs. And uh, he grabs a dude's sunglasses and puts them in his mouth. And he's singing into the microphone, just going absolutely insane. And then he just walks Whoa. on stage. He steal, he stole a guy's sunglasses yeah. on national television. Probably like $500 sunglasses and stole them, put <laughs> them in very, his mouth and tossed them. When you so uh, rock and roll. To kind of just use Zach De La Roca's words, he talks about how the band, when they play live, they, they did seem to make a very concerted effort to separate the experience of them watching them live from this album, mm-hmm. from the album experience, because they have multiple. Um, and he says that, like, borrowing, borrowing showmanship notes almost from, like, the MC5 and bands like that from the 70s and the 80s and, like, punk you know, punk rocks like Black Flag that didn't give a shit about playing the songs perfectly, but Mm -hmm. gave you moments where you could really get the feeling that you were watching something very human that was happening on stage that could not be, that was only happening in that moment in time and would never be repeated ever again until they go on stage and do it again. And that's what rock and roll is, though, right? Creating those moments in in someone else's life. You know, I play music in the city. I know you guys do as well. And when you're on stage, often I'm finding... After you get over the initial sense of being nervous in front of playing in front of your friends or strangers, it's all about finding that moment and living in that present moment. And there's, honestly, you look back at the footage of this band, and there's really no other band that lived so much more in the moment than this. They never just going through the steps, like, oh, we got to go on stage and play this song again. They left at the drive-in to create more music and create a different kind of sound. Um, it was all just very. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? It was all uh, very spontaneous, spontaneous and present. present. Like they were, they were, yes. they were there to create this sound, and that's what they, hell yes, did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really awesome to see like, the just the evolution over 16 years that this album came out. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's worth mentioning. You mentioned the drumming, especially here on Area Tarka. Uh, John Theodore, one of one of the best drummers to ever play. Um, mm-hmm. The guy had just a complete mastery of his instrument, and um, he was... He plays with so, Queens of the Stone Age now. Yeah, he plays with Queens still of the Stone around. Age now. Yeah, he's still doing really? it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's the new drummer on their new group. record. Yeah, but... Um, One of the tightest bands in all yeah. of history. They, I, they are the most amazing musicians. Like, seeing them live... Not a single note is off. It's like everything is perfectly sound. It's, it's like almost they're listening. You're listening to a tape. Yeah. Yeah. At times. At times. They they are bad at. I fucking love Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they got John Theodore in there just shows that Josh Hame knows knows his shit. Yeah. I would say if you like Queens of the Stone Age, you will probably like the Mars Volta. Yeah. Um, for the riffs, because the riffs are absolutely are the songs are kind of structured similarly. It's like they yeah. they do it very pop format. You know, verse chorus, yeah. verse chorus outro whatever um bridge chorus outro whatever and that's the thing is that the mars volta is founded on pop sensibility exactly they're a pop band and they they would say that themselves i think probably yeah and i'm i'm reading up a little bit on on the lead singer he says that he would listen to his music and everything was just cycled through 
the feeling of salsa music. And yeah, he says absolutely. That he hears a lot of things with clave in his head, like ta 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 ta. And you can kind of, uh, and learning and, and listening to the album more and more, I can see that, mm-hmm. that uh, that's probably the case. Let's move on to the next song, though. Cicatriz? Uh, Cicatriz. Cicatriz. Scar in Spanish. Let's take a listen. And this song is notable because it uh, features uh, synthesizer and vocals from John Frusciante. Oh. Not not right here, but it's in the chorus. You know, you're mentioning a lot of the people who are involved in Mars Volta. Let's just do a quick rundown of the list that I found here of band members. Notably, this is on Wikipedia, but the final lineup uh, that happened in July of 2012, this mm-hmm. is around that time, Omar... Rodriguez Lopez, Cedric Bixler Zavala, Juan Adrente? Juan Adrente de la Peña. He was there too. Yes, <laughs> Marcel Rodriguez Lopez, uh, D'Antoni Parks. D'Antoni, yep. D'Antoni Parks. Then we got the conformer contributors keyboardist Isaiah Ikea Owens, Linda Good. Uh, sound man- sound manipulators. There's not a lot of bands that have a specific list of sound manipulators. Jeremy Michael Ward, Paul. Hinojos? Paul Hinojos, yes. Hinojos. Uh, I think he was from At The Drive-In, right? Or am I getting that wrong? That Paul is, Hinojos. Wait, is, wait he in, is he in Hella? He's in, he's in, he in he's the on full Cryptom, version of he's, Hella? He's on Omar's solo album, Cryptomnesia. With Hella. And he, right. was, he was the bass guitarist for At The Drive-In, too. Oh, yeah, I man, see. That is, okay, that's where he came that from. That is correct. Uh, John Fugasante, uh, and he was on guitar. Eva, John Frusciante. John Frusciante, Frusciante. Frusciante from uh, Chili Peppers. <laughs> I say Fugasante. The man that launched a thousand strat cells. Yeah. <laughs> Are you right? Okay, uh, basically. Yeah. Bassist, Eva Gardner, Flea, Jason, uh, Jess, oh, sorry, <laughs> Ralph Jasso, Jason Letter, uh, we got Blake Fleming, John Theodore, um, Thomas Pridgen. Pridgen? Yep. Pridgen? Dave the Pigeon. The pigeon. <laughs> is he uh, is somewhat known? I don't know. That guy's that's an stupid. Ass. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys, have you ever met any of these guys in the Mars Volta? Before? No, man. Not I saw at the drive in one time on their yeah, tour. We, we saw them, right? Yeah, we, we saw them together. Yeah, yeah. And you got to see Anti Mask, which was kind of like their first thing after breaking up the Mars Volta. Yeah. Both of both of those projects were just still um very much in their infancy. Yeah, and, and well, and it was Cedric and Omar still working together. Um, none of the rest of the members of the Mars Volta, except for, you know, uh, what Dave, Dave, Elish Dave Elish. played drums on, yeah. uh, Antimask and he was a guy that toured with them. He never appeared yeah. on a recording, I yeah. don't believe, yeah. but Dave Elich played with them. Um, it's, it's funny cause when it, when you look on the records, if you look at who the Mars Volta, it says the Mars Volta are mm-hmm. Cedric Bixler Zavala and Omar Rodriguez Lopez. Mm-hmm. The Mo- the Mars Volta group are, and then it's the rest of them. Yeah. So technically the Mars Volta is just those two people. If you were to have them and you know a bunch of different musicians they could really still call themselves the mars volta and it would be accurate because technically it's it's one of those things where it's like you know uh uh john coltrane is the artist and then he has the group is the quartet that's and that's how omar rodriguez lopez structured the band yeah yeah yeah. well he was he was the leader and he's the best at what he does and by the way i totally apologize for screwing up and hacking up all those names oh Oh, no i've done it a million times that's the main thing that uh that people write in about they're like you don't know anything about the band (laughs) it's like it's like you you have like a a two-hour conversation about an album and then you get one name wrong and it's like what it's bono not bono well uh look those people would mess up things too if you were if they were having to host uh (laughs) you know albums that about things that they weren't super familiar with that's very true let's jump into the next uh uh, song real quick the apparatus must be unearthed yeah this song's it's crazy good it's good it's good 
The Sound of Bees with Guitar. Ah, wonderful. I did it. Yeah. Let them blow you to sleep. (laughs) Brace yourself. Insanity. It doesn't stop. One now, how many movies has this song been in? Because, Zero. Uh, really? Yeah. Good it question. sounds like an opening trailer uh, song. Yeah. You like shit's about to hit the fan, and this song pops on, and mm. you're like, oh my god, that guy's running through the alley, pulling things. It's a very theatrical song. I feel like it's funny. The, as far as I'm aware, the only m- movie that has used the Mars Volta is Get Him to the Greek, and yeah. they don't even use. It, it, it's the last track on this album, but it's one of their live versions where they do an extended version. Yeah. And Cedric hits these insane notes. Do you run? Have you seen Get Him to the Greek? Of course. So you know it's the that, bit. Like, it's that, yeah, the bit Jones doing, that's what he's yeah. doing. Is he's doing the Mars Volta. He's trying finger. to convince uh, his girlfriend uh, to come to a Pixies Mars Volta show, mm-hmm. which, which was an actual tour. Happened. Oh, yeah. My yeah. uncle yeah. saw that tour. My uncle was in California on that tour, and uh, he's just like, "Hey, do you want to go see Pixies and Mars Volta?" And uh, Oh my God! Who is it? It's it's the girl from The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. Oh yes, Uh, I know you're talking. I can see her face. Yeah, she's in uh, Us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Oh God, Nick Nick's gonna kill me. Nick DiGiulio is gonna kill me for not remembering your name. (laughs) Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth. Uh, There it is. But yeah, he's just like she's just like who's the Mars Volta again? And he plays like this ridiculous section, and he does the. <laughs> that's that's the only time I think it's been used in a movie. Uh, Omar has scored some movies. Yeah, he did a sentimental he, engine slayer, he which did, is a small movie. He did a movie that Mark Ruffalo made called Sympathy for Delicious, and Deontony, yeah. their last drummer, actually was in that movie, and mm. I think they made some songs for it. Yeah, Omar okay. has also worked with uh, who's the guy that did the score for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Hans Zimmer? Hans Zimmer. He did a score with Hans Zimmer for a movie called The Burning Planes. Oh, wow. And I don't know if it ever got released. But, but guys, if, if you aren't listening to NoCo Cinema, the extent of these two guys' knowledge <laughs> is just in, incredible. Incredible. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, my gosh. So these guys have a, have a very um, big uh, repertoire when it comes to working with uh, movies, music, Absolutely. acting. Mm-hmm. Man. Well, you can tell they're just creative guys. Totally, they can kind of do whatever they want. Yeah, they're just two two big creative guys with like some of the best hair in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Seriously, how much conditioner is used in in their <sighs> hair? Game? They, oh, dude, they're bringing the perm back for real. <laughs> they really, they are. really are. Is coconut oil involved? Probably. Oh, oh we can only hope everything. so. Let's and, listen to the next song. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Oh, uh, I was just gonna say, uh, is uh, it about hair? How much uh, coconut oil? <laughs> let's do you keep really talking about I was hair. just gonna say, um, their their look is like very important, and but I know they jokingly refer to themselves as Latin dancing. Well, Cedric does. <laughs> Cedric does. And then he calls uh, Omar. He likes to call Omar uh, Puerto Rican Bernie Sanders. No, he calls him Puerto Rican Woody Allen. Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah, because he's because he's also a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, Omar is and has made a bunch of movies that premiered at some. He kind of looks like Woody Allen if he were Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah, he just recently referred to him as the Puerto Rican Bernie Sanders. So I think that's the new for the new uh, Mars Volta super fans. That's what we have to refer to him as. <laughs> So we're listening to Televators right now. It's a, it's a, again a very ethereal kind of atmospheric Pink Floydy kind of opening. What they, I'm guessing they're, they really dug. I mean, you can see the influences of what went into the Mars Volta before they put together this album. Uh, but I want to see what kind of conversations do you think they were having? Uh, you know, the lead singer and 
and um, oh. and his bandmates when he's like, "Hey, should we do uh, should we do the B noise in the beginning on this song, or yeah, should it be man. saved for the next one?" Well, I think that 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 probably had a lot to do with their collaboration between Jeremy Michael Ward, Omar Rodriguez Lopez, Jeremy Michael Ward, and Cedric. They probably were just. They wanted to do whatever it was that struck them in the moment, I think. Like, if it made them feel good, they wanted to use it. Yeah. And that is reflected in a lot of their choices musically and, and in life, uh, for better or worse. And uh, I think that it's, I mean, it's obviously hard to spec. It is ultimately speculation. Yeah. But what do you think, Tom? I, w- I would say, at the very least, we can say for certain that there was almost no conversation between that trio and the rest of the band. Yes, I um, think we be- can uh, surmise that. Yeah, they're they're notorious for, especially Omar on later albums, would essentially write the parts and have everybody uh, record them independently, and not he, they, he wouldn't tell them what it was supposed to sound like. He wouldn't wow. tell them what the rest of the, the the song would sound like. He would just be like, "Hey, John, I want you to play this part. Play it. Play a drum beat in this time signature." And he would kind of piecemeal it together. He would throw them on top of it, which gives a very interesting. It's uh, like chaos. a Miles Davis approach to creating an album, yeah. which I think he only did on Francis the Mute. He did that on Francis. Yeah, um, it's very interesting, and it results in uh, an intense experience of trying to parse through where things fit in. But it also creates like this kind of magic synergy that doesn't always that that is independent of people playing in a room together. He's like he had this vision and he like kind of knew where the parts were going to fit in, but he didn't want anybody else to know. And that's why I think it's interesting to refer to like that you brought up how the Mars Volta is Omar and Cedric. The Mars Volta group is this this time. Yeah. In a lot of ways, I feel like a lot of people listening to this probably would maybe react to that being like, oh. He's kind of a prick, you know, he's just kind of like protecting, you know, he's he's a control freak, you know, mm-hmm. and he's a di- little bit of a dictator maybe mm-hmm. in that in that kind of a way. Like like uh, which I think does beg the uh, comparison between him and Roger Waters and stuff and people of that ilk, but at the end of the day, it's protection of vision as well, yeah. I think, you know, and I think that's why he did it. Very self-motivated, yes. you know. People like that have a creative vision and they more or less refuse to compromise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, that, I love that creative process. And as much as people, you know, can shit on Kanye West and everything, he has a vision. Exactly. And he's exactly. going to lead it out. Yeah. yeah. A great way to. Yeah. I love Kanye. Exactly. I think Life of Pablo is like top, top 10. I yeah. love that. Love that record. I think it's such a interesting execution of vision. And the dude. And, and I'm not a big fan of, uh, like, doing, like, oh, this guy's just trolling us. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're not all Andy Kaufman, like, yeah. trolling people through their their art. But it kind of seems that way. No one knows the mind of Kanye except for Kanye. He, he is only <laughs> yeah. giving you what he wants you to know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty genius. And you can call me uh, an asshole or, a, you know, Kanye West stan. Uh, and I'm not going to try to apologize for the Make America Great Again stuff because there's a certain level of distance between Kanye as a person and Kanye as an artist. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, people like that are manipulative mm-hmm. and they will show you what they want you to see. Uh, I mean, and you have to just look at people like Cedric, or like Omar and Kanye is just like, they're setting trends all over the place. Like Kanye right. West, Drake's career doesn't exist without Kanye West making 808s and Heartbreak. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a fact. And I'm not the I'm not the first one to say it. I won't be the last one to say it. And for the Mars Volta, there's a million bands that don't exist without this record. Uh, and and that's we're getting to the end of the the album now with the last song. But you hit it dead on. The influence that these bands 
put because they're like, you know what? Fuck everybody else. I don't care what anybody thinks. I want to make the music that I want to make. I don't want you to put it bubblegum pop or or tell me to not do an 18-minute guitar solo mm-hmm. and you know put no vocal a- arrangement of melody, verse, chorus, bridge. I want to do it the exact same way I want to do it. And if I want to have Flea do a, a, a mid-section bass solo, yeah. then I'm going to have it right in the middle of the freaking verse. Yeah. Funny you bring that up because that happens in the song. <laughs> and let's take a listen to it. The last song on the album, Take the Veil Serpent Text. All right, let's take a listen. <laughs> I'm looking at Connor every single time to make sure I'm pronouncing <laughs> these things right. And then I think this song is very notable because it's maybe the only one, aside from the intro, where it gives some clarity as to what the fuck you just listened to. Yeah. You know what I mean? For it, for the narrative, anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we just emerged from the Wonka Chocolate River Cave, and now it's like, and now you just see what they're talking about the whole time, outside of the psychedelic imagery and everything. Honestly, this is my favorite song on the album. Yeah. I love it. I, I deeply, deeply love it. Right, Eight well, minutes and 42 seconds uh, yeah. in full for this for this album. Guys, I love this album, I think, but I think it's about that time mm-hmm. to give the rating of the Mars Volta deloused in the comatorium. Okay. Now, the way we look at this... With the new scale, we're taking away the 11 likes, we're, we're doing away with that, and we're bringing on the Avenge 7 scale. <laughs> I'm so glad God, to use that. That's God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so we're going to give it a rating of 1 out of 7, and then as always, we're going to use our emojis at the end. So you can use 1 to 3 emojis, the, whatever you feel, to kind of express yourself a little bit better about the mood of this album. One of the greatest albums that this band has put out, again, the DeLouse and the Comatorium by the Mars of Volta. came out in 2003, and we're listening to it today. We're going to go to our two guys from NoCo Cinema. Tom, what is your rating for DeLouse in the Comatorium? Okay, so, one, love the seven rating yeah. because... <laughs> Yeah, I'm just going to put this, you can cut this out later if you want Tom. to, but like, I, I, if you've never heard of the seven scale rating, it's because it creates a true middle. Uh, there's the, the number four, four out of seven is a true neutral feeling. And then there's three negative and three positive numbers above that. So I think it's genius and just calling it the Avenged seven rating. Is and when asked why we wouldn't do it out of 10 and when just using five as the true middle, the answer would have to be because seven is just a sharper number. Yeah, I like it. Nerd! <laughs> That's you. rude. There you go. <laughs> I didn't come onto this show to be fucking insulted, Michael. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. no, I do. I do appreciate that. And forever and, and now until the end of time, Tom and Connor, you guys are owners and proprietors <laughs> of the you. Avenged Seven Scale. Shit. <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give uh, Deloused. Out of seven, I'm going to give it six heart emojis out of seven. The reason I'm not going for the full seven is because I'm going to say my favorite Mars Volta album is really Francie's The Mute, which is the one that comes after it. I think it takes everything they learned from this and blows it up to uh, a level that people might uh, flat out hate. Uh, There is a 30-minute seven movement, right? It's seven movement. Uh, finisher on that album and it is absolutely insane they pump up the uh, the salsa stuff and influences but 
Delouse in the Comatorium is an album that everybody should have, even if you're not the biggest Volta fan. I think it's a landmark album of the early 2000s. It represents raw creativity at its best. And um, if you're into progressive music, this is a must, must own. So six heart emojis out of seven. Wow. Okay. Strong rating. How about you, Connor? I... I'm, I always hesitate to give things ratings. I don't, I don't know why, because if I really like something, I like to talk about it. And if I don't like something, you know, it's like a, you learn from your mom. Don't say anything at all. But I do think that if I want to judge this album, I would have to judge it against other bands that the Mars Volta are like. And apart from, you know, passing similarities to Led Zeppelin and Santana and King Crimson and things like this i really don't know if there is another band that's that's exactly like them or that is like them so i trying to compare them i guess i would have to compare them against their other albums like you did tom mm-hmm. and i was going to give it a 6 as well because i do think that this is their most consistent for like maybe just an average listener mm-hmm. but they do step up the latin influences and they really distill the vision of what the mars volta is supposed to be later in later years and in later installments mm-hmm. of their of their mythos, I'll call it. So I'm yeah. going to go with six heart emojis out of seven. That's perfect. All right. So that was it's. It, you guys are giving it really, really high scores, by the way. Dude, yes. If, it's, if it's, there's you anything, can tell there's there's meaning behind. We're biased this. as fuck. I mean, yeah. there's no there's no way around that. <laughs> if there's anything you've learned over the last hour, it's that these guys are obsessed with this band. It is cl- it is both of our absolute favorite bands of all time. I love it. All right. So for the Mars Volta, deloused in the Comatorium. I love what you guys, uh, the knowledge you brought. I I've learned so much more about this band. I'm gonna go back home, read a few books on them. Maybe I subscribe to some design. Or some zines. There you um, go. Zines. Come on, Michael. Get your get your act together. <laughs> zines. Did you not grow up in Crystal Lake and yeah, the hardcore pu- punk scene? Um, but for <laughs> you for, know what a zine is. Come on. <laughs> for Delaus, I think the Mars Volta. They blew me away. It was the first time I heard this album from front to back, which is why I love doing this podcast. Um, I, I, I'm a punk kid at heart. I love just the structure of guitar that they use in this album. Um, but I need to keep it. You know, keep it uh, steady because we have to. We have a lot of albums to look at. Yeah. I'm going to give it four heart emojis. Okay, you're going to true neutral. Yeah. True neutral. Atta yeah, boy. see, there we go. That was the first use of the true neutral yeah, it's, too. It's very useful, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, where can we find uh, Noco Cinema and more on both of you? Oh yeah, uh, so you can find all Noco Cinema on WGNRadio.com, uh, WGN Plus iTunes. Uh, you can follow us on social media at NoCo Cinema. That's across all platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, what have you. Uh, you can also follow us on a great social networking app for movie lovers called Letterboxd. It's like our favorite thing. Um, I believe I'm thush237. So just think my my name and then room 237 from The Shining. And then uh, Connor. I'm serious film buff on Letterboxd. And that's not a joke. Yeah, no, it's that's all, a- <laughs> all undercase, serious film buff. Um, and you can follow me, you know, on Instagram. You'd probably just look up my name, and you can find. I guess my Instagram it's Surly Nerbler, and Twitter you can find me at Chint Gargans. Uh, I tweet therefore I spam. Is, is that the uh, traditional spelling of Surly Nerbler? Surly, yeah, okay. like as in you know, good. Yeah. I'm a Surly, <laughs> surly uh, Nerbler. And then if you want to follow me personally, uh, it's Twitter and Instagram at Mount Hushmore. Mm. 
Guys, that's good. you two are the smartest people in any room that you walk into that's when it comes true. to <laughs> either movies or the Mars Volta. <laughs> that's it. That's maybe, maybe, and that's maybe. where the, long, the line is drawn. <laughs> that's the line. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. You can find more about this podcast itself on, on WGN+. Plus. You search Sound Sessions. You can email me directly at Sound Sessions Podcast. You can find more information on myself at michaelheideman.com. Guys, thank you so much for joining us thank on you, the newest Michael. episode of Two dudes, one disc. <laughs>